Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we're going to speak with an expert on Martin Luther King about 50 years since the assassination of the civil rights leader. You're really going to want to listen to that conversation with Dr. Claiborne Carson of Stanford University. He is also here in Detroit and speaking at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History tonight at 6 p.m. So you can go hear him in person there, but you can also hear him on the program a little later today. Also remember, if you've got to step away from the radio for any reason, you don't have to miss out on what we're doing here on Detroit Today. You can go to iTunes or wherever it is that you download podcasts. You can download and subscribe to Detroit Today and take us with you and listen whenever you are ready. Up first, these last 20 years, we as a country have watched in horror as our children get slain in their own schools over and over again. And over and over again, we plead for an end to the violence. Those pleas have been met with the same thing from our adult leaders. Absolute silence. Last week's school shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida looked like it would be just the latest in that same cycle. Youth slaughtered, public outcry, inaction from policymakers, and the crushing feeling of helplessness that follows. But this time, something a bit out of the ordinary seems to be happening. The silence that often follows the white noise of these events was broken. There were voices, diminutive but resonant, that we weren't used to hearing. Not from politicians, not from gun control or gun rights activists, not even from teachers or parents. These were the voices of the teenagers who survived the shooting, begging for adults to put an end to the needless violence that ended the lives of 17 of their peers. And these students in Parkland, Florida, aren't just speaking up. They are getting organized. Within days, they had created a movement on social media emblazoned with the hashtag never again. They have a headquarters, they have a strategy, and soon they're going to help organize and lead two protests, the National School Walkout on March 14th and the March for Our Lives on March 24th. These kids are engaged in real political and social advocacy, and they're demanding to be heard. This all seems extraordinary, and it is, but it's also not the first time kids have felt the need to organize for political and social change. Youth advocacy has played a significant role in the progress of our country over centuries. Think of the Little Rock Nine and Ruby Bridges, people who put their lives on the line to desegregate white schools in the South. We want to start off today's show talking about the role young people can play in moving our country forward. And of course, we want to hear from you, as always, on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. What do you think about this new youth movement that seems to be cropping up around the tragedy in Parkland, Florida. And joining us now to talk about this movement and put it in some historical context is Jonathan Stith. He's a national coordinator for the Alliance uh, for Educational Justice, a national network of intergenerational and youth-led organizations that works to end the school-to-prison pipeline. He has decades of experience working with youth to address social inequities. Jonathan Stith, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, let's first talk about what we're seeing here in in Parkland. Uh, this is an extraordinary, I think, development. And it, it is, I think, uh, an example of 
young people owning their own futures. In, in other words, uh, saying this is about us, this is affecting us, we don't see adults taking the responsibility that they should to make change, and so we are going to put it put that on our backs and do it ourselves. I think uh, that is worth uh, noting as an extraordinary sort of development on on, on this front. Yeah, it is. It is extraordinary um, for for what we've seen in this kind of the phenomenon of school closings uh, and shooting. I'm not school closing, but school shootings. Um, but it, but as you opened up, historically that has not, you know, there have been other responses, right? So I, I think mm-hmm. we could, we could draw similar parallels to, um, how we saw black youth respond to the, the murder of Trayvon Martin and Jordan Davis. Um, and those also sparked movements, um, leading to young people from Miami, Florida, and really all over the United States. Uh, supporting the Dream Fenders and Power You to take over the state capitol after the acquittal, um, and even some of the the electoral work that they did afterwards. So, um, so it's not an uncommon response. And on and in my uh, work in line, we would say that actually there is some healing in organizing um, and trying to change the set of conditions and circumstances that created. Uh, the tragedy that happened there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's talk about your reaction to what they're what they're doing and what they're saying. We saw uh, students from that uh, high school in Florida show up in the state legislature yesterday mm-hmm. as they were debating uh, a gun bill. Is this is this uh, something that has the potential to affect the change that they're talking about? Given how organized they've gotten. Uh, in in such a short short time, and given the energy that, uh, mm-hmm. quite frankly, seems to be powering this, yeah, there's a lot of energy, um, and I think you know it's, it's also borrowing from the, the moment um, that we that the kind of the political and social moments this country finds itself in, um, and that does make it exciting. Um, I think they are um, on some levels really calling on um, what they you know some of the things that adults have told them, um, some of the things that society has told them. And really, and being like no more, right? Um, and and so I we think saw we saw a young person use that very that very phrase, right? Uh, right. Uh, uh, talking about what adults have been doing. Right. Yeah. Because as you know, we we sell young people on you know this idea of you know you just go to school or the things or or even the idea that school is safe a safe place, and then to come to find out um, that it wasn't, um, and that you know the kind of measures that are, have been taken. Um, are really failing that we need a, a different way, a, a, a different. I think this is just the beginning. I think, you know, oftentimes uh, movements like this, that, you know, it's really kind of what's in front of you. And, you know, sometimes what we would say the low hanging fruit. And I, I think one of the things I'm uh, cautious around is that, you know, it, it only lands there, mm-hmm. um, but that it doesn't go through and really begin to shape society or reshape society and what we think about safety. Um, you know, because I think the the issue around the the, the issue around gun control speaks to a much much longer trajectory. Um, when I think, you know, I think about uh, Martin Luther King and beyond Vietnam, and and just the idea that you know, kind of all of this stuff is really kind of drawing down from a larger world society that um, for for a lot of those children um, in that school have been protected from and so, on some levels benefited from. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's really exciting. My also caution is I'm concerned that, you know, oftentimes those policies, um, well-meaning in the hands of ill-intended politicians, often bear the cost 
on young people of color, right? That's um, right. And black and brown youth. And so we've seen, you know, after Columbine, the policies and practices that then put police in schools. Now we have, you know, 20 years later, a movement led by young people of color to get police out of schools to really handle the assaults that have happened, starting with the assault at Spring Valley, um, where we saw SROs, you know, um, attacking young people. And so, sure. so there's this caution that, you know, those of us who have been doing this work see the excitement of it, but also a concern that, you know, something will get swept in uh, and young people of color, black and brown youth in this country will, will again be left to carry the burden for that. Yeah. Uh, we're already seeing some pretty disgusting uh, backlash, I guess, is what you yeah. would, would call it about about this. People on social media, in particular, really taking after these kids. Uh, you work a lot with young people, trying to get them involved and get them organized. H- how do they process that kind of attack from adults? Uh, right, uh, saying really, really awful uh, things about them when they stand up like this. Um. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it contributes to a politic and a notion um, sometimes that we see in our movement around kind of youth only, right? I think it um, it can really, um, you know, tear at or really question again, you know, kind of this is what I'm supposed to grow up to be. Like, this is somebody who's supposed to and really calls into question again a lot of the um, illusions that we, you know, we tell or myths that we tell about society that, you know, this moment is really um and I think for the young people that I work with, like, I think it also just affirms them that they're on the right path, right? And they understand the history of SNCC. You know, when those uh, uh, six young people sat down at that, uh, that calendar in Woolworth, mm-hmm. they didn't say nice things to them, right? right? You know what I'm saying? They did mean things, and they, they physically attacked them, and they burnt cigarette butts in their hair, and, uh, and they had to have the discipline to hold themselves to move through towards what they cared about the most. And so with them having a backlash, it's sad to say, I'm like, welcome to the movement. Right. That means something, that you're getting that reaction. It means you're heading in the right direction. Stay fast and keep fighting. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Jonathan Stith. He's the National Coordinator for the Alliance for Educational Justice. We are talking about the youth movement that seems to be coalescing around the tragedy in Parkland, Florida from last week, and around the inaction of adults in response to that tragedy. What do you think of youth getting involved in this way? What do you think of the history uh, of youth getting involved in this way and the tie to what we're seeing right now in Parkland, Florida? Do you worry about uh, the safety of young people who stand up and speak their minds the way they are in Parkland, Florida? We're seeing really, really awful uh, reactions to to them in some circles. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Zach on Twitter says, seems like an American youth can never win with skeptics. If we remain apathetic, it's get off Snapchat and get involved. If we take action, it's go home and leave it to the adults who are doing nothing. Great uh, observation there, <laughs> Zach. Ken on Twitter says, these kids are owning politicians left and right. I would pay silver dollars to see a press briefing where SHS had to face a room full of them instead of 
cowering, instead of the cowering press corps, she does daily the speaking about uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who is the president's press secretary. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Annie in Beverly Hills, uh, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Good morning. I Go appreciate ahead. you taking my call. Sure. Um, this, uh, this, this whole issue has really rang very passionately with me. Um, I am so incredibly proud of these young adults, these high school students who are organizing and standing for something they so strongly believe in and have been motivated by the horror that they witnessed and are continuing to have to deal with um, moving forward. I, I absolutely am appalled that we as adults have not been able to do anything. Um, we have countless stories, even in our own state of Michigan, of school districts sponsoring raffles for AR-15. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely absurd. What does someone use an AR-15 for? Yeah. It, no. it boggles my mind. Um, and I think also um, with your guest speaker mm-hmm. in response to some of the um, evil comments that adults are making against these children who are standing up for what they believe in, I think you can say that there is a d- direct proportion to the fear that they have that their distorted beliefs are going to be compromised. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, thank you for Annie, taking my call. Annie, thanks very much for the call uh, and and all of those those comments. Um, uh, Jonathan Stith, uh, I want to give you a chance to to react a little bit to that, but but talk uh, specifically uh, about again this this sort of danger and the history of that danger and what we need to be sort of keeping an eye out for to make sure that these kids aren't aren't. Uh, assaulted or or uh, responded to violently, which has happened so much in the past. Yeah, um, I mean, I think you know, in that in the in this moment, right, when we see um, some adults um, react like that, I think that then there is a responsibility for us as caring adults mm-hmm. to really step forward um, and to have young people's back. Um, to be able to get out in front of things that they ask us to um, and to really play um, that role and be able to use um, kind of our adult bodies, our adult privileges, you know, our adult car in service to young people in this moment. So I do think, like, as we see that, I think if people are impacted, then that's a call for you to take action, to step up, to support, to stand in the middle of very similar. And we know that playbook. We saw it in the civil rights, right? You know, we have to step in. And, and really be like enough, right? Um, and really, I think also in that too is not only being a, you know, a fight for, a fight with young people, but also being able to turn and listen to the young person in your family, right? I think this is a real uh, opportunity for us, again, to demonstrate some real caring for our young people and turn and listen and listen with our hearts, listen courageously and really have that conversation around kind of what's happening in our schools that young, you know, young people don't feel safe what's happening in our schools that we cannot provide the kind of environment that we want to see them grow and become or lead the society to become. I think, you know, for a lot of us, you know, schools represent that seed of change. Um, Why it's so important to a lot of our our work um, is that we believe that, you know, through schools we can reshape society, right? And so this is that moment. I think, again, it calls for us to, you know, step up, but also 
turned and pivoted to and listened to the young people in our lives. Yeah. Okay, Jonathan Stith, National Coordinator for the Alliance for Educational Justice. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. All right, no problem. Thank you. Up next, we're going to talk about a youth movement from 50 years ago. And don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation, you can download the Detroit Today podcast on iTunes and listen when you are ready. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Peter in Bloomfield Hills, Aaron in Detroit, Tom in Northwest Detroit. We will get to you next. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Young people throwing themselves into the political fray seems to be happening with increasing frequency over the past few years. Black Lives Matter rallies and now gun control debates are a draw for a lot of young people. But protesting and activism aren't new among teams. A war, a controversial president, a fight for civil rights, the times were similar and in many cases, it was students leading the cries for change and progress in the 1960s. Joining us now to talk about what was going on then and how it connects to what is happening now is Frank Joyce, an anti-war and civil rights activist and a student activist in the 1960s. Frank, welcome back to Detroit Today. Stephen, hi. Yes, it's great, great to be with you. It's great to hear your voice. Uh, let's talk about the sort of anti-war movement that was bubbling up among teens in the 1960s, and whether you see sort of parallels between those times and this time. A lot of things are similar, but of course, a lot of things are different as well. Well, uh, let me start with the similarities. I, I do think it's just incredibly encouraging that these young people in, in Florida are setting an example and are doing a version of uh, what those of us who joined the civil rights and anti-war movement did in the 1960s, and that is that they are challenging essentially the order of things, uh, whether it's the Jim Crow system in the South or whether it was the war in Vietnam that adults have created, and it very much is a generational conflict. As I think you know, we've talked about this before, and I've told this story, but uh, I was a teenager in 1960 when I joined a picket line that was protesting segregation at a swimming pool in Oak Park, Michigan, at the corner of Eight Mile and Greenfield. It was called the Crystal uh, Swimming Pool. It was a whites-only pool in 1960. Mm-hmm. Uh, I joined that picket line, and it's a longer story, but basically I got kicked out of the house right. uh, and very much... And then a little bit after that, uh, joined an organization called the Northern Student Movement. Stephen, when I was thinking about this, I just want to observe that in the 1960s, we had the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the Northern Student Movement, and Students for a Democratic Society. So this notion that students, college and high school, uh, can in fact be 
in the forefront of movements for social change is indeed uh, very much a reality, uh, even of elders like myself uh, (laughs) who participated in those movements 50 years ago. Yeah. Uh, You know, our previous guest and I were talking about the danger that often attends this kind of activism, uh, even when it involves young people. Uh, there are folks who, who want to respond by, you know, attempting to stop them and, and in some cases doing that uh, through physical violence. Uh, I, I worry about some of the things I'm already seeing in response to what these young people in Florida are saying. Uh, and certainly there were lots of examples in the 60s of absolute brutality in response to well, student just activism. Well, on that point, Stephen, mm-hmm. yes, I think you, I heard that, and you're exactly right to raise that danger and that challenge. And uh, grown-ups, uh, so-called, uh, at this point, I think should pay attention to the danger that exists here, Goodman, Cheney, Schwerner, Medgar, Edwards, mm-hmm. Malcolm X. But I want to go from that point to a larger point, and that is one of the things that I'm hopeful comes out of this is that we can get past policy debates about guns and to the root of what Dr. King talked about, which is that the United States is the greatest purveyor of violence uh, on the planet Earth. It was true when he said it 50 years ago. It's even more true now. And we have a very long history of a culture of guns and violence that goes back to the beginning of the country in the first place, of slave patrols, of genocide against indigenous people. That's the underlying root and core of the problem that we're dealing with here. And it's a challenge to all of us, not just at the social policy level, but at the, at the question, as Dr. King said, of what are our values. You know, this is maybe going to sound a little off, but I've wondered in the last week or so since this situation in Parkland, Florida has unfolded, Maybe the reason that we have things like Columbine and the Las Vegas shooting and the federal building uh, terrorist attack in Oklahoma City and so on and so forth, maybe the reason we have these public mass violence episodes is because we don't have lynchings anymore. Mm -hmm. From Mm -hmm. 1877 to 1950, There were 4,000 lynchings in the United States, and they were public spectacles in the media of that time, just as these are all public spectacles now. We have really got to come to grips with the root of the problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. Put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Peter in Bloomfield Hills, you're up next. Good morning. Hey. Uh, I had a worker come by my house recently, a contractor from, who lives in a more rural part of the county, and he put it best. Uh, living where I do, people look at you funny if you have an NRA sticker on your car. But just a half-hour drive within the same county, uh, he says, if you don't have one in your car, people look at you just as funny. So it's a real social divide. 
just around the corner and mm-hmm. on top of the absolute need of safety in our schools. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, Peter, I appreciate uh, I appreciate that observation. I think uh, one of the things that's becoming more evident is that great divide in this country uh, and how close we all are physically to each other, but how far away we are in terms of uh, the way we think of things. Uh, let's go to Aaron in Detroit. Aaron, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Hey. Yeah, that was a that last comment from the uh, your guest was really fascinating. But what I want to say is, uh, I'm real grateful that you guys are are, are bringing up the history of uh, uh, how youth has always been the uh, the uh, motivating factor for change in in in, in societies globally. They become intolerant of the status quo uh, a lot faster. But uh, and I'm really proud of these young people uh, because it's past due that uh, we get outraged with uh, uh, this mass slaughter of our innocents. But uh, I again am concerned that we're we're and they are focusing on the uh, the wrong thing. That the guns, yeah, we don't we don't need the guns, but the the guns are not killing people. People are killing people. And hopefully somebody becomes outraged with the society we've created where it makes sense for people to kill other people. Yeah. yeah. Will somebody address that eventually? Yeah. Aaron, thanks very much for that uh, that call and that and that comment. Frank, that, that that idea of violence being intrinsically American uh, and and with us from the beginning is is, as you say, at the root of all this. But it's really hard, I think, to get people to think about it in those terms. Well, I think, Stephen, on on that point, let me uh, recommend a new book by Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz. It's called Loaded, um, and it's basically a reframing of questions around the Second Amendment and guns and so on. Part of the reality that we are struggling with here is that, of course, Examples of human-on-human violence go go way back in history. Mm -hmm. But in the particular history of the United States, the association of uh, settler colonialism, of taking lands from indigenous people, and of controlling the slave population are inextricably bound up with guns. And the Second Amendment, you know, there's no country in the world that has anything remotely resembling the Second Amendment. No other constitution talks about guns at all. So just the fact that this is something that is enshrined in our founding documents, if you will, should tell us something about this connection of guns. And I might add, to come back to Dr. King, and I'm so glad that Claiborne's going to be on the show later today. Mm-hmm. That, that could not be more perfect. <laughs> but remember that Dr. King talked about materialism and white supremacy and racism, but yes, also militarism. That's right. Take note of the fact that Nicholas Cruz and three of his victims were members of the ROTC. Yes. yes. I wish that the previous caller were right that there is like a 50-50 divide between people who are members of the NRA and people who are not. The problem we have is that this gun culture is so pervasive and so associated with uh, whatever the problem is, the, the answer is violence, that, as I said before, to repeat myself, we really have to drill down among other things, into understanding what the true history of the United States is all about. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, Frank Joyce, uh, anti-war and civil rights advocate, student activist in the 1960s. Thanks, as always, for joining us here on Detroit Today. Talk to you soon. Up next, we're going to speak with an expert on Martin Luther King, 50 years since the assassination of the civil rights leader. Stay with us on Detroit Today.